All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks for joining us here for the podcast episode 32. Uh, like always, uh, that's Anthony and I'm Steve. And uh, we'll have a special guest joining us here a little bit later in the show tonight. Woo! So once again, we thank you for joining us on this first uh, Monday in February. <clears throat> so a couple cool things we want to get started on, at least, well, we think they're cool, but we're turtle nerds. So um, we're hoping you think they're cool too. Um, one of my favorite things that gets published every so often is the um, Colonian Research Foundation, along with the um, IUCN TFTSG, um, publishes uh, a semi-annual checklist. Um, for a while, these checklists were published every year, um, but the last one was issued in December of 2014 after nearly two years, the previous one had been released in January of 2013. Um, that one added all sorts of cool range maps. <clears throat> well, we're now uh, two and a quarter years removed from that release. And um, I've received an email recently from Anders Rodin that uh, the next checklist is going to have vastly more detailed distribution maps. They're also going to be including photos of most species in addition to type locality data for many of the taxa. And they're also even going to issue this version of the checklist as a standalone book that is, I believe, going to be like hard printed as well, which is kind of cool too, if you like nerdy turtle book things. But anyway, really cool. I love nerdy turtle book things. Were you talking <coughs> to me? I'm sorry. I thought maybe you were. You're a nerdy turtle book guy. So am I. I yeah. am. I really like books. That's re that's really cool. And I think um, it, it's it's it kind of stinks. It's been over two years, but like you know, I'm sure it'll be worth the wait. And you know, make it make it worth our while. I'm sure. And, and maybe that's just us being optimists. But I really do enjoy, and, and one thing that's really cool is we have a website. Um, obviously, most of you probably know that we have a website. And on that website, there are some educational resources for people to use in, when they're doing their research or trying to figure out what's out there. And one page that we have on our website is actually a list that's based on the newest checklist. So you can access it very easily and see, okay, what is the newest scientific classification of whatever like okay has it changed are southern painted turtles definitely their own species are they still considered by some to be their own and considered by some other people to still be uh subspecies uh of of painted turtle uh that sort of thing and here here's the here's the page right now so i find myself all the time coming back to this and i'm so happy this is all steve 100 percent um I'm a nerd, but his nerd nerddom trumps all, and his his abilities are so impressive and wonderful. And this is this is really one of the best resources out there. <clears throat> For this, we basically take their checklist and turn it into a searchable table. Um, so things are are in a in a different format um, that are easy to search. But there's also a link here to the original document as well, um, so you can get uh, extra information there. Um, many of you know about our native species maps as well. And so um, 
our map data comes from the checklist as well. So we, again, we take um, their work and turn it into something interactive um, for you as well. Uh, so um, just that's a couple ways that we use the checklist um, and help, you know, kind of um, do some neat things with it. And, uh, you know, it's one reason we get excited by uh, the checklist. Um, this one's obviously going to be pretty hardy considering all the information that's going to be in it. I don't know if that's going to be kind of a one-time update and the next one will be a little lighter, uh, so it takes less time. No idea what that plan is at this point, but, I, you know, we'll wait and see. And uh, I've been anticipating the next edition of the checklist for quite a while. Um, there you have. So uh, we're already um, partway through February, so we'll see how long it is. Um, I always yeah. get, enjoy getting to talk with uh, Peter Paul Van Dyke at uh, at the annual conference uh, since he's one of the, the big people involved with putting that together. Yeah, and, and that's what's, I think, cool about hearing you talk about it, Steve, because you're so passionate about it, but also you kind of have a little bit of inside info because you care about it so much, so you pay attention when little bits of information go around or you're maybe looking for little bits of information, things like this. So uh, what type of changes do you anticipate? I mean, can you even answer that question? Or do you, are um, there certain species that you think are already or already know are going to be split up or anything like that? Um, he and I had actually talked about the box turtle conundrum a bit in, in August. And I think we mentioned that maybe in the September uh, episode of the podcast or October. So one, you know, whichever one it was the first one we did after the, the conference. Um, and one, you know, one of the um, folks who's been involved with some of the box turtle stuff is now on the team that's putting the checklist together, but they weren't even sure which way they were going to go with that stuff last um, I talked with them. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, comes up, you know, what's next, so to speak. I really don't know what to expect as far as specific changes other than maybe some of the more obvious ones that have already been out there. Um, Although, you know, for a while, uh, you know, a lot of people were starting to break Kinesternin into Cryptocles, except it seems like there's some going away from that. So I don't even know that that's going to have made it into a checklist at any so point. When he says Kinesternin, he means the um, mud turtles. Right. Uh, the, you know, the mud turtles, the turtles that the live Ameri in the mud. The, the American mud turtles as opposed yeah. to the African mud turtles. Right. Right. Um, and when you were talking about box turtles, um, how to handle the box turtles, do you mean like North American box turtles as yes, well? Yes, uh, North American box turtles, the terrapine or terrapine, depending on, you know, which Latin version you like. Right. Get into that whole conversation again? <laughs> no, we probably don't need to. <clears throat> Anything um, else uh, as far as maybe like Western pond turtles or... European pond turtles or African you know, muds? I have a hard time keeping track of all of the possibilities because, um, you know, it's not easy to track all the newest uh, publications um, between the cost of subscribing to some of these things, etc. So that's another reason why I really like the checklist and really enjoy the checklist. It's kind of a, a way to catch up on all of that stuff and read. Um, and at the, at the back end of the checklist, there's always commentary about the decisions they've made in their process so that you can kind of get a deeper understanding as to why they went direction maybe they went left with this version instead of going right and, and they kind of explain some of that which i always appreciate that because it helps give me a deeper understanding of what's going on 
Very cool. Can you give me an example of that in the past? Um, uh, you know, so the, in fact, in the last checklist, they, there's even a discussion on some of the terrapine box turtle stuff, for instance, that, that is really interesting to read because some of those studies came out before that previous checklist. So it mentions most of them during that checklist and talks about them just not quite feeling comfortable with either one of them to really go anywhere other than the nor the former version but they've actually listed most of the alternatives in the checklist as well so um that's just one one example that's really interesting that's cool yeah so i think you know having everything in one place like one trusted source that you can just go to and like i said that's why i love the page that you created i use it all the time just to make sure that my you know scientific nomenclature is up to up to date if I'm writing something and I want to know okay you know is this considered whatever now or has it been changed officially or whatever is this still a toss-up I can come right to that page and know exactly what I'm dealing with and and go from there so thank you for the resource and thank you for your passion for this because I think it's it's you know it could be it's it's tough to digest it's tough to navigate it could be tough to find for some folks like myself. So having you put it in a convenient location and kind of in a more digestible form is, is really appreciated at least by me, but you already knew I appreciate you. So <laughs> this is what it is. Um, you know, speaking of educational stuff, I know there were a couple of things in the, the New York area that you wanted to highlight that were coming up. Yeah. Um, I don't have the dates right in front of me, but there are two, um, kind of conference, uh, type things. There's They're both in March. Um, so the, the New York turtle and tortoise society is later in March that, um, seminar, which looks really good. Um, do you have the date on that? Um, th uh, that one's the 25th of March. 25th. Uh, let me throw that up here. Um, here is the rundown on the uh, the seminar that the NYTTS is putting on, um, and they've got uh, uh, several speakers coming in uh, for this um, this one day seminar. It runs basically from ten to five, uh, and it's you know right in you know it's in Yonkers, so it's you know in New York, uh, in the heart of the the city. Well, I don't know if I call it the heart of the city, but it's close. Well, not the heart, but you know it's uh, you know it's. You know, it, it's not like it's on the outskirts. Right. Um, George Heinrich here, um, he's actually a guy that I've gotten to know at the last two conferences. He's based in Florida. And he and another friend of ours, uh, Tim Walsh, are also um, doing this, what they're calling the Big Turtle Year. And so their goal in 2017 is to um, capture in the wild and see in the wild um, one of every species native to North America during the or native to the United States during the course of 2017. Um, so they're going to be making multiple what we call herping trips um, around the country to um, to see every species in this in the country in one year. So another kind of cool thing that George is doing. And they're not trying to capture and take the animals or anything. They just want to actually like observe, maybe right. get measurements on, photograph, that sort that type of thing. Just exactly. for exactly for all the all the PETA folks out there. Right. Yeah. Precisely. Just wanted to just wanted to clear that up before it became an issue. Yeah, but it's a really cool project that I know they're <laughs> really passionate about and I was really excited to hear about. So looking forward to updates on that. 
and you can follow their blog too. Um, right. maybe, maybe we can get that up by the end of the show. Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, you know what, I'll uh, pull, I'll start looking for that while you kind of talk about um, the other event is uh, the first Saturday in March instead of the last Saturday in March. So March weekends are bookended and this one's right. at Hofstra, which is also in the New York area. Um, right. And we've got a, a friend who's a, who's a professor in the, I think, believe the biology department at Hofstra, Russ Burke. He does a lot of great work with uh, terrapins, for instance. Oh, I didn't know that he was at Hofstra. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's his university. I have his, you know what? I have his business card here well, somewhere in my desk. But I'm sure I knew that, but yep, then just there forgot. It is, Russell Berg, yeah, Department of Biology, Hofstra. Yep. That was fast. I'm impressed. Good work. Good work. I've got a nice stack of them in in my desk there. So, so so yeah, this one looks good too. I mean, I, I've wanted to make it out to one of these. Um, you know, having a couple small kids at home, it's been really difficult for me to actually get out just at those moments. Uh, it just hasn't worked out. So, and this one again, well, I'll be on a work trip. So I won't see you at this one. I'll probably see you at the New York Turtle and Tortoise Society one. But uh, yeah, I mean, it looks good. They're, you know, they're going to be talking about um, whether or not sustainable take is something that's possible with any uh, turtle or tortoise species, which I think is really interesting and really looking at that subject. Um, you know, from, from both ends and really trying to figure out uh, what the real deal is instead of, you know, just kind of hating the idea of taking animals from the wild and saying no, 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 but actually trying to figure out from both sides the person that is trying to support a family or feed, a, you know, feed people who are going to eat turtles one way or another, um, how maybe we could be more planful around that. Um, talking about readier sliders, solutions, uh, solutions to abundance and inappropriate release. Um, such a wonderful topic that will never go away probably um, within my lifetime. Uh, and, then, and then other things as well. So I, I, I think there's some really important topics there that relate to everyone. And then there's also some, some species-specific stuff that um, could really could really benefit a lot. And there's another one I really like too, Hatchling Herpers, which is um, tapping children's passion for turtles, which is so important because um, as we all know, you know, tapping into that newer generation who's coming up and really uh, teaching them the right way to do it and supporting them, giving them a chance to grow on their own, giving them a chance to start where we all started and you know, uh, care about animals and become ambassadors for animals and, and particularly turtles is so important. So I'm uh, looking forward to both of those conferences, seminars, and uh, hope that anyone in the tri-state or Northeast area will make it out to those. And um, I also appreciate that they're in kind of the, the, this time of year too, so that you know, they don't really conflict with a lot of the busy uh, summertime turtle conferences that, that, we, that we know about. I think that's one reason why they are at this time of year, honestly, is because, for instance, um, uh, the keynote here, Dr. Charles Innes, uh, he's a pretty big name in um, in turtle conservation as well. He's a busy guy. Um, he's a veterinarian. Uh, he does a lot of sea turtle work. I know our own um, Amanda Sargent has gotten to work with him when she was at uh, New England Aquarium. Uh, I believe he's done some stuff for... Uh, for um, TSA and other organizations from time to time as well. So, Very cool. 
Very cool. I think Dr. Pritchard used to come up for the New York Turtle and, Turtle and Tortoise Society uh, seminar as well for a time. I think I might be wrong, but um, I didn't used to go in those days, so I couldn't tell you for sure. But I think I heard that. So don't let me be a liar, but it's possible. I could be lying. So. <clears throat> All right. Sounds like our um, guest is uh, just about ready to join us here. Um, so uh, <clears throat> we're going to try to um, call him in right now. Uh, this will be his first time on, so hopefully the tech works for us right away. So don't... Uh, don't hold your breath, apparently. Don't hold your breath, ever. We've been working with this software for a long time, and you think that I would understand it more, but I don't. So just speaking from my own experiences, it's difficult, and that's why Steve does it. <laughs> and I also know now that I'm very dumb, and that's also why Steve does it. So for anyone out there who's wondering, that's why. Just saying. So any other news, Steve? Uh, well, I was... Well, I can talk. Because yeah, you you're, talk while I figure this out. Let's do this. Since you have the tough job to do, let me show everyone a turtle or a tortoise. Hold on. One or the other. What about both? Cross-contamination. I'm not doing that. No way. Be right back. I'm back. So I don't think I ever showed one of these off before necessarily. And maybe I have. I'm not sure. I know I've showed a Galbinifrons before. I think I've showed a uh, Japonica before. Of course, he doesn't want to come out of his shell. But this is, this is an adult male Vietnamese black-breasted leaf turtle which everyone knows is my favorite species. And he's sitting right here next to me, so I had to show everyone. And I just want to show everyone the, the immense size of this little guy. This is Wang. He's our male breeder. Terrific turtle. And uh, we're not sure exactly how old he is, but uh, been around for a little while. And you can see that um, some turtles stay pretty small and probably are better in captivity than others. So there you have it. And sorry, he's sleeping. But Eric is awake, so <coughs> good segue. All right, so we've got tech working. Uh, for, let's uh, give a warm welcome to our guest, Eric Muncher. Um, Eric is a good friend of ours. Uh, we spent some time out in the field together. We've uh, spent some time uh, drinking and eating together in uh, several different cities at this point. Um, <coughs> so Eric... Um, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is because of all the cool work you're doing with uh, with the organization that you helped start, uh, the North American Freshwater Turtle Research Group. Um, so while we could talk about that, you can probably talk about it a whole lot better. So um, why don't you just kind of introduce uh, yourself and uh, your organization to our viewers tonight? 
up. Uh, I'm not hearing you for some reason. Are you muted? Is there a mute button? Hmm. Hmm. Well, he looks handsome, and that's what's most important. Yeah. With, there he is. There we go. Right. There is. I was already going to mention that you looked handsome. Thank you. That, it's, a, it's the number one precursor. I appreciate it. It's a prerequisite for getting on this show. <laughs> All right. So let's give that another go. <laughs> My name is Eric Muncher. I direct the Turtle Survival Alliance's North American Turtle Research Group, which uh, is a group designed for long-term population monitoring of wild populations in all across the United States. We started in Florida, where we have eight sites. We have three sites in Texas and a site in Pennsylvania right now. And our goal is to catch as many turtles as possible, every species that we come across, and to monitor that population through time. Uh, some of our turtle sites in, in Florida, we're up to 17 years worth of continuous data right now, every year. And it, the, the program is a, is a um, citizen science and undergraduate research uh, program where we get students from across the country and we get peop lay people, uh, people who have nothing to do with biology, to come in and volunteer their time because they have a shared passion with turtles or they just want to get in the field and experience what we do on, on a yearly basis. And, uh, yeah, uh, open up the whatever questions people may, may have. <coughs> um, so, um, if, um, you know, if uh, somebody wants to get involved, what's, you know, how do they do that? So, there are several ways where we, we – post our what we're doing across the country we have a facebook page that is for north america freshwater turtle research group we also are the turtle survival alliance's official north american group so you can go to the turtle survival alliance's website turtlesurvival.org and there is a volunteer tab, tab on that website and we are one of the sub tabs on that volunteer tab where it will give you our little page on the turtle survival alliance's website and it will give you every single trip that we have planned for that year, uh, where we are going, what we're doing, uh, what to bring. Um, and my email, of course, is there as well. Oh, there you go. Great. Yep. Mm -hmm. My email is there, is there of course, uh, to contact me if there are any questions uh, and concerns. Uh, you can see we have a trip coming up very, very soon to – Kamal Springs in Texas. It's our largest site in Texas. It's a 24-acre spring-fed lake, gorgeous site where we have a lot of turtles. And this is going to be the fifth year that we've we've been working that site. That's so cool. Yeah. So, um, uh, is there? Are you looking for anyone in particular when it comes to volunteers? Are you looking for? people who are physically fit and could jump on the back of an alligator snapping turtle? Are you looking <laughs> for people, uh, are you looking for people who have certain experience if the species you're looking for are endangered? It's Anything a, like that? That's a, that's a good, uh, that's a good point. Uh, our sites have certain regulations that we have to abide by because we get permitted by the state agencies to work in these sites like Florida Fish and Wildlife, Florida Department of Environmental Protection, Texas Parks and Wildlife, things like that where we have to abide by the four permits. 
In Florida, we can't allow anybody in the water our sites that is below 17 years of age due to uh, presence of alligators, manatees, things like that. So uh, anyone who's 17 years of age or older can volunteer for us. If they don't feel like they uh, can stay in the water, uh, all, all of our sites are primarily swimming sites where we swim after the field. Temperature ranges from 70 to 74 degrees a year round. So if you don't think you can handle that temperature base, uh, there are other things that you can volunteer for. Uh, canoeing, we always need people who can follow the divers around catching turtles and, and put them in canoes. Um, there's also the processing side where once we catch a whole bunch of turtles, we have to spend a couple hours actually measuring them, marking them, assessing their health. Um, and people can, anybody can help with that and be taught how to do that. So cool. Steve, do you have a question before I cut you uh, off? I was going to say, you know, another note too, um, along that same line, because of certain regulations, um, for instance, uh, at least for 2017, our uh, Pennsylvania sites will be closed to outside volunteers for the most part. Um, and correct. then as we kind of figure out how these sites are going to work, we might be able to open them to uh, more volunteers in the future. Um, uh, as I recall, Eric, you've got a really, you've got what, you have a spring break uh, week down in Florida as well, which might be easy for college students to get involved with. That's correct. That's it's on the website there. That's uh, March 18th through the 26th. And we'll be at eight different sites. Wow. That's so cool. That's my type of spring break. It's a, it's a, it's a whirlwind. You're, you're, if you stay the whole trip, you are exhausted at the end. <laughs> you are, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I bet. We uh, in two the two years that we've done this type of trip where we hit eight sites, we have gotten over eleven hundred turtle each year. Wow. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's it's one of those things that just every time I can't believe it. <clears throat> just such wow. big numbers. Yeah. Um. So, Steve, you mentioned our site when you mentioned the Pennsylvania site could could you guys talk about the collaboration a little bit yeah sure um well I guess uh a year and a half ago now Eric and I met at uh at uh, the Turtle Survival Alliance conference in Tucson uh I think didn't Andrew <coughs> introduce us at the at the um at the kind of uh icebreaker the, the first icebreaker yeah yeah, That's right. Andrew was like, hey, you guys are from Pennsylvania. Hang out. <laughs> it was basically <laughs> how it went. <laughs> and um, and so uh, by what, September, we started talking about finding a way to um, – Do something in Pennsylvania. Yeah, to put stuff together. Um, so cool. Yeah, we brought in uh, Jordan Gray, who um, many of our followers and, and viewers are familiar with. He's been on our, uh, our podcast. <laughs> And, uh, uh, well, let's be honest, he uh, makes himself very visible to just about anybody who can do anything with turtles. Sure. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah, so we um, just figured, um, so we started talking, we started looking at satellite uh, imagery and all sorts of other stuff to find a place where we might be able to find uh, some good populations of wood turtles and it kind of, you know, blossomed from there, I guess. Yeah, I, 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 it was designed to. I'm getting feedback. You guys hear that? Uh, yeah. I'll turn my volume down a little bit here, that, and you can probably do the same there. That'll hopefully okay. take care of it. Yeah, it was 
a collaboration that was designed to get um, the best of both worlds. Where uh, we are, my group had a ton of experience with field work. You guys have a ton of experience with uh, that that particular species. I I had not caught very many wood turtles before, and I think it was just a, a perfect grouping uh, and hopefully a long, uh, very nice long term project. Oh, definitely. Um between Chris's overall experience, um, that's Chris Leone our, uh, of the Turtle Room, overall experience with wood turtles, both both raising them and um, just kind of knowing their behavior. Um, and Andrew uh, Wald, who um, is the executive director uh, of the TSA, did, didn't he do his master's work or something like that with wood turtles up in Canada? Um, so he was actually out in the field with us last, uh, last fall and had an absolute blast, uh, you know, joining a uh, – us uh, out there as well and getting his uh, experience and knowledge out there into the field too. Yeah, that was a good time. Great time. Best time ever. <laughs> I think my, my whole neighborhood knows I had an awesome time. I'm still talking about it. <laughs> Mrs. Jenkins well, walks her dog her outside here. and I'm telling her about it. Just saying. So I, I had another question too, and I know you know we're talking about we're I, I can't wait any longer. Okay, I'm like I'm like a kid on Christmas right now. Can can we talk about the experience with the Florida snapping turtle? Do you know what I'm talking about? The experience that you told us about. Do you remember? <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. Is that too embarrassing? Did I put you yeah, on? Yeah, no, no. You mean the one that broke my thumb? Was yes, that, that was one. that a snapper or a softy? That <laughs> was a snapper. Oh, was okay. I'll never forget it. Now yeah, we talk, we also talked about how you know soft shell turtles are the are the the most ferocious. Oh, they are. Yeah, that's the worst. But, but, but this but this story was particularly about a Florida a Florida in, snapper. In, if I in 2010, when the TSA was first starting to podcast with Steve and Anthony, Jess says hi. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Jess. <Hey. laughs> I was talking to himself in here. <laughs> My wife thinks the same. It's okay. <laughs> talking to himself about turtles again. Two months ago, yeah. Eric Good walked in Pretty on our podcast. Much. He practices like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so in 2010, when TSA was first starting to bet whether or not they wanted us as, the, as a part of them, um, they at first asked if they could have the conferences field trip, the first ever field trip as our uh, our study site in Orlando. I remember that, by the way. I just want to say I remember that. I wanted to go so bad, <laughs> and I could, I didn't, and I I still, I'm not as upset now because I feel like I'll get other chances, but I was really upset that I couldn't make it. <laughs> so it continue, sorry. We, I think we had like 22 people show up total. It was, it was crazy. And so, we ended up getting about 115 turtles. Uh, everyone had a blast. We, we caught a a snapping turtle, a 42 pound snapping turtle that ended up being a recapture from 2002. And in 2002, he was just a little guy. Oh, and, wow. uh, he, yeah, he gained a bunch of weight, got big, and I was going through the typical measurements and everything that we do, and he got a hold of my thumb and broke it. Oh, all the TSA people are watching. <laughs> <laughs> That's the part that kills me because they're all watching. You're trying to, like, you've got this, like, like, like this corporate affiliation you're about to you're about to you know marry up and it's and all that type of red tape and and like court courting and everything that goes through that 
that that comes with that, yeah. and now right in front of everybody, and you have to play it off like it doesn't hurt or something. Oh, like that was that. great. Uh, my uh, my mentor, Dr. Brian Hegg, was right behind me, and I, I gave I just let the turtle go, and he's like, "Oh, great, it's bad." He let the turtle go. <laughs> I didn't say one word. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't even. <laughs> someone, someone would be if oh someone had to be filming right. No camera phones. Where are the camera phones? Two thousand ten. Of course. Thankfully. Not as not as as, as not as much. Yeah, no, and they weren't good quality either. Yeah, not good quality <laughs> for like video. Could you imagine today? There'd be like seventeen different videos on YouTube of like. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> idiot! Idiot gets his hand bitten by by snapping turtle. No offense, but you know yeah, no, that's what no, it would no, say no. on YouTube. <laughs> You're saying if you watch YouTube, yeah. And be like, oh my gosh, why is he doing that? Leave the turtle alone. Yeah, it's science, get, people. It's science. <laughs> it's science. Gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> Just saying. So for a guy, and, and I also thought this was interesting too, but for, for a guy who got his thumb broken by a large snapping turtle, you, you think soft shells are the, are the oh, most fierce? I'd rather, be, I'd rather have my thumb broken again than being bit by a large adult female ferox. Ferox being the, uh, uh, the Florida, Florida, soft shell Florida soft shell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had that bite happen to me about two years ago, and it bit in the meaty part of the of a thumb, and it just tore just a chunk of flesh out and bled profusely. Wow! How many turtle? How many turtle inflicted scars do you have? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Too many to count. Too many to count. This is so good. I've been bitten by every species that we study, other than alligator snapping turtles. Thankfully, that's 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 the real reason he wanted to sight in Pennsylvania. We'll see some wood turtles, some spotties, some painted <laughs> turtles, and for the most part. Other than the occasional snapper, the bites won't hurt. <laughs> right. That's a trip when you step on a bear trap or something. Be careful. Knock on wood, please. Somebody. <laughs> My desk is real wood, so we're good. Good. Uh, Show off. So, uh, Eric, another um, question I'm sure some people have. So, long-term monitoring uh, studies. Um, what exactly does that mean for, for people who haven't really heard that term before? And what kind of research comes out of of a long-term monitoring project. Okay, so long-term monitoring, uh, turtles are extremely long-lived, a lot of most people know that, and to get any basic life history parameters from them, you have to study them year after year after year after year. And hopefully, for greater than 10 years, really get a picture of what's going on within the system they're living in and within their, their population, or the species populations themselves. Um, for instance, our, our study site, uh, one of our study sites in Florida, we've been doing it for 17 years. We have four primary species where two of them being river cooters, we've caught just about 1,100 of one species and about 700 of another. And over time, we've gotten an idea that we have a pretty good idea of what the population estimates are for those turtles, that it, of those species in, within that, that ecosystem. So we've caught 1,100 spe uh, 1100 of that one particular species over 17 years we have 66 percent recapture rate over that time we can take that data and we can get an idea of uh, confidence confidence intervals wise how many turtles of that species are, are actually using that environment we also can get um percent survivability over time there are lots of turtles that will mark say for instance we marked the turtle 2001 we just recaptured turtles like that last year 
We have not seen them in 15, 16 years. Wow. But they're still alive. They're still uh, this, this, the same turtle. Um, so that, that's showing extreme survivability over time, which is what you want to see. Um, we also can get an idea of growth analysis over time. A lot of the research we're doing right now is actually growth curves on the, the, um, the river cooters of Florida, where we're seeing extreme growth, um, fast, a lot faster than you would think, um, uh, on the upwards of almost doubling their body size in a year. Well, One would think that uh, the the warm spring water probably has to play a role in that, correct? Yes, and that it has to. It's a year-round growing season. <clears throat> wow, that's so interesting. Um, and I, you know, I think we breached this topic on on a previous podcast. Um, one of the more unusual um, research bits that came out of of some of your work is what is the best bait to catch a turtle? Oh. Perfect, Steve. I didn't even think about that one. So good. The best bait to catch a eastern musk turtle. I haven't tested it on anything else, but uh, we have statistical proof, at least at our Texas sites, that our musk turtles love buffalo chicken. Buffalo chicken. Who thought <laughs> that their favorite food is my favorite food, right? I mean, come on. Well, the story behind that is... Uh, there was a, one of my research partners in Texas and I were walking on the, uh, by this little 12-year-old kid who was hand fishing with his lunch. He was putting a buffalo chicken wing on his hand line, dipping it in the water. We walked by him and he's like, oh man, not another turtle. And of course we turned around like, what? And he's like, I've been catching turtles all day. So we <laughs> put another chicken wing on the line, he puts it down, and sure enough, there are like half a dozen musk turtles fighting over the chicken wing. Wow. <clears throat> so, so cool. uh, what all baits did you test during this study we did cat food sardines potted meat uh, let's see here what else uh, oh uh, raw and fried chicken um, yeah two different kinds of cat food wet and dry um, sardines of course because sardines has been used by every turtle biologist there is and uh, interestingly enough uh, buffalo chicken just hands down beat it wow so cool so what's the thought um basically something that is more pungent or i i need to try a, like a, just a bag of buffalo sauce versus the buffalo chicken to see if there's just mm. if there's something within the sauce oh that's a good point yeah yeah so a lot of those are like oily greasy heavy really flavorful yeah Food items, and obviously that it's, probably travels further and has a stronger. The fried chicken part, the fried chicken would have beaten it or does well, and it didn't. Uh, buffalo chicken beat fried chicken. Was the buffalo chick the buffalo chicken was fried though too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you wonder if that sauce had something to do with it. Of course, yeah, you would have to wonder. Wow, man, wow. that is wild. There is a bait you should never ever try. Never ever put cantaloupe in a hoop nut. Doesn't work at all. No, you'll end up with a nine foot gator in it twice. Cantaloupe? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We we asked a local fisherman in Florida. Um, well, he 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 started talking to us about what we we're doing. We we're telling him because we we're using watermelon at the time, and we've had really good success with with watermelon rind with soft shells. Believe it or not. Wow. And he's like, oh, why don't you try cantaloupe? And he's like, I use cantaloupe to catch soft shells. And we're like, all right, it's another melon. And kid you not, two times in a row. I got 
a nine foot alligator and she she cost me seven hundred dollars that trap because she got me that that trip because she killed two traps i was gonna say <laughs> that's expensive yeah i think he oh. was pulling my leg <laughs> oh that's great that's all right uh, though because eric went went and pulled the chubs and took the alligator's eye right <laughs> yeah. is that the end of that story yeah <laughs> So, folks, <laughs> this is why you should become a TSA or NAFTRG member and yeah. get out in the field because you're going to get some great stories, if nothing you else. You'll get some experience. <laughs> you kidding me? Oh. Look at this! Look at this guy's breaking his thumb and wrestling nine foot alligators <laughs> to 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 measure cooters. Send money to the TSA now. Send money to, to NAFTRG now. They they need resources. They, he needs to go out in, in some body armor or something. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I feel like I feel like on the orca in Jaws when Hooper is is like making up when he has to make up the broken heart thing because he just runs out of turtle injuries. I don't have enough turtle injuries, man. <laughs> I feel like I can't even be in this conversation. It's not cool. <laughs> Oh, man. So um, one of the other things we wanted to start doing is um, kind of highlighting a single species um, for each podcast. And the one that popped into my mind uh, as I knew Eric was coming on and I knew some of these stories was actually the stink pot, partly because of the buffalo chicken thing, partially because Eric has seen stink pots in, uh, you know, how many different sites in several different states at this point and, and can actually kind of talk about, you know, some of the differences he's seen as well. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with the stink pot, also known as the Eastern musk or common musk turtle, um, they're native to the Eastern half of the United States, um, all of the country East of the Mississippi, pretty much up into Canada. And they even go West of the Mississippi about uh, halfway through Texas or yeah. so give or take Our and, and like you know, North from there. So um, they're generally a small turtle. Um, they eat uh, clams, mollusks, um, buffalo chicken. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, generally they're they're a carniv uh, a carnivorous species, um, or even a molluscivorous species, more than they are um, omnivorous. But um, Eric could probably speak a little bit more to the diet he's seen uh, in these guys as well. Um, they're relatively easy to care for. for so, so for those of you looking for a first pet turtle, um, they're small even uh, to their adult life. So we do recommend them as a first pet turtle. And they're really tiny and fun to raise up too, uh, you know, when, they, when they're hatchling. In fact, um, connecting to our pre some previous videos, there's a video of ours on YouTube somewhere like smallest hatchling ever or something like that. And that's a, a, a baby uh, eastern musk turtle from Connecticut. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of high babies you see, a lot of baby turtles you see like size of a quarter. We're talking like nickel or dime with a stink pot. So really, really freaking tiny. Uh, that's cool. Uh, so, so, please Anthony, go ahead. No, Anthony, you got it. Well, the name of that video is Smallest Turtle Ever? Question mark Because I didn't have the backbone to say smallest turtle ever and it probably wouldn't be fair. So, And it's not the smallest turtle ever. So there was a question mark there. It's important. It's an important uh, clickbait type uh, maneuver that you have to be familiar with on YouTube, just in case any of the watchers or uh, viewers are, are wondering. Um, so if you, Eric, can, can tell us a little bit about your experiences and some of the differences you've seen uh, maybe yeah. in, in stink pots from one lo locale or one part of the country to another. 
what's really interesting is um, we've been studying that species for 17 years in Florida. And as Steve said, they're, they're, they're very small species. Um, it, we're, what we're seeing in Florida, they, they get maybe 80, 85 millimeters carapace length. That's a pretty small turtle. And we've noticed that they don't have a very good ability of competing with conagers, congeneric species, other musk or mud turtles. So when they're in the presence of, say, the loggerhead musk turtle, they are even smaller than what you'd expect to find them as, and they're pushed to peripheral habitats. They're pushed to lesser quality habitats. Um, what's really interesting in that we can actually kind of test that is when we go to our Texas site that has no congeneric species whatsoever, is that the very western range of their, their, their limit of their range, we're seeing that that species is as big, if not bigger, than the loggerhead musk turtle or even the razorback musk turtle, Stenothrus carinatus. We have eastern musk turtles in Texas that are 130, 135 millimeter carapace length. Mm. And we're seeing that their head widths are 30, 35 millimeter, millimeters wide. I mean, that's the head width of a loggerhead musk turtle. That's extremely large for a eastern musk turtle. And what, why we believe that is happening is they don't have anything to compete with. They're free to release. They're eating prey items that might not be available to them in the other habitats because the other larger, more um, ferocious, more um, just uh, you know, uh, just uh, ag aggressive Spinothra species would kick them out of that habitat. In the Texas site, it's not, they have nothing to compete with. They are allowed to, to prey whatever they want on. But what's also really interesting at that site is they have an abundance of invasive species. Invasive snails dominate our, our lake there. And we have actually documented them eating three species of invasive snail there, including the, a giant ram's horn um, snail that's the size of a half a dollar. And we'll just see these, these musk turtles sitting beside this snail just crunching on it. It's hilarious. Hold on. You're making me hungry over here. Hold on. <laughs> I, love, I love having ram's horns around to feed mats and musks with. Yeah. It, it's just neat to see in, in the wild uh, a native species taking on an invasive. That's really cool. Yeah. That's a really good point. Oh, definitely. Especially with all the invasive clams that we've got mm -hmm. in the in the U.S. at this well, point. Well, they're known to eat corbicula. They've been documented eating zebra mussels. <coughs> it's a good. It's a really neat little, uh, really neat little turtle. Um, really cool species. One of my favorites. That's so cool. I, I have a question from a viewer. Um, a friend of ours, Steve Rosen, asked. Um, is there like a preferred method of notching or pit tagging or anything like that that, that um, you're doing with one species like versus another or for the stink pot, for example? We keep, uh, we, we made an adaptation to the Kegel method. Kegels was the um, first notching method created back in I think, 1939 where um, he uses uh, the, the periphery of the shell, the marginal scutes. We have an adaptation that our group uses at all of our sites for all hard shell turtles, barring the wood turtle. The wood turtle has its own notching um, methodology that we have to abide by. So every site that we go through, every species that we go through, we use our, our adaptation of Kegel's notching method, but we also pit tag every turtle that we catch. Except, yeah, except for, for the wood turtles. Wood turtles. <laughs> 
but right. that's a story for another day. <laughs> with soft shells, we pit tag and we actually tattoo. We tattoo the underside of their carapace, where the, it's a very, just a very large fleshy area. Um, we actually had that that technique published uh, in Herp Review um, six seven years ago. Uh, it's worked out wonderfully for us. Uh, we tattooed turtles, you know, six seven years ago that we're still catching to to this today that you can still see the tattoo. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, it kind of actually heals as a brand. It's interesting that you can actually trace your finger uh, down the, the mark. Yeah. Hmm. So, like, you're literally using a tattoo machine? Yeah, we have a handheld tattoo one like you would, get, you would have at a tattoo parlor. What? Yeah. That is so cool. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's, like, that's more than cool. I didn't, I didn't read about that. I'm not reading yeah, enough I'll, soft I'll, shell. I'll send you the paper. That's really cool. I would yeah. love to read that. Wow. <laughs> So, and the pit tagging is really cool too. I mean, you'd think it's this, you know, I don't know. It was kind of scary, but um, I was able to pit tag um, a musk turtle on our last trip out. And it was, it was really cool. It's simple. Yeah. And I think I did okay. And, and, and almost foolproof. Yeah. As long as that tag, nothing's wrong with that tag. It should live as long as the turtle does. Right. I wouldn't want one of those in, in, no. <laughs> in my, in my eye. <laughs> but um, but it worked out great for yeah. for the little turtle. He didn't yeah. even complain. Uh, at this point, we have probably about forty thousand dollars swimming around our sites. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And how much does each pit tag cost? Uh, typically six bucks a piece. But I've ordered so many through the years that I get preferred buyer um, cost now at my source for two dollars a piece. Wow! Yeah. And for all you math nerds out there, and Steve. <laughs> You could do the math to know how many turtles they have swimming around with pit tags. There you go. Hmm. So you talked about um, being able to figure out how successful a site is based on like when you're finding, you, you were talking about the cooters and how you were finding them maybe 15 years, 17 years later. So um, what happens to that data as far as like figuring out, okay, why is this site successful? Are you looking... Are you looking at what's kind of might be contributing to the fact that a lot of the turtles are still there 15, 16, 17 years later? That, that is a good point. A lot of our sites are, are protected sites in Florida. They're state park sites. So ha the habitat's still relatively good. And it is, it's been protected over time from harvest, where most of Florida hasn't been. Uh, prior to 2009, there was no limit on its amount of turtles that could be taken out of Florida and shipped to China. Um, 2009, the Florida Fish and Wildlife, Florida Department of Environmental Detection um, issued a harvest ban where there are strict regulations now on, on wild turtle harvest. You, you can take one per person per day for certain species. Uh, certain species are banned outright, uh, snapping turtles being one of them, um, cooters being another because of um, there's an there's a actual protected cooter in, in Florida, the um, Suwannee River cooter. It's a, a, a species of special concern in the state. Um, Dimeback terrapins and things like that. Um, so, all, our goals were to assess healthy sites over the life of the turtle to see exactly what an actual viable population looks like over time, and then be able to compare that to um, less protected habitats. So, what we're doing now is trying to get everything possible out of the data sets that we have, uh, publishing population estimate papers publishing growth papers, um, uh, dietary stuff, uh, you know, 
is coming next. A home range analysis. We got big grants. Uh, we won one, and we're, we're we're going to be submitting other ones for home range analysis on the the cooter species because mm. we've actually witnessed them um, moving great distances on our sites. We have two sites in, in the Orlando area that are eleven river miles apart, and we have caught thirteen turtles at that were marked at one for, or the other over the last couple of years. Wow! So we that in that site, we, in those two sites, we have marked. Four, almost you know, four thousand turtles, but we don't know where they nest still. So uh, we're hoping that home range analysis and things like that will open up a whole bunch more studies and <laughs> more life history understanding for them. That's so interesting. We talk, you know, we talk all the time about how it's something we brought up on the show many times, but how folks think, you know, well, we've got wooded area over there, or we've got protected area over there, but there's there's all. Uh, fragmented and segregated and, and everything by these roads that kind of run right through the middle of them. And obviously, I mean, we're talking about rivers, but these turtles all nest as well and they come out on land and they're looking for, they travel over land as well. So um, when you see these home range uh, numbers and how far turtles it, travel. It can I mean, be incredible. We have other sites up in the Swanee River where we've caught, one turtle that somehow made it almost six, six, I think it was 66 river miles from one site to the other. Oh, <laughs> almost yeah. During a flood or, or what? Um, we have other ones up there that went um, 13 river kilometers back and forth in one year. It was caught in one site, marked, caught the other site um, a couple months later, and back in the original site a year. And these are just the ones you're catching. Who knows yeah. how many ones are never found dead on the yeah. road or, or just aren't caught? Yeah. This speaks yeah. to how important it is to uh, stay consistent with your marking as well from uh, – and so, like, for instance, you won't mark, you know, the same numbers at two different sites, it, like, within the same state, for instance, because you never know if something like this is going to happen where you're going to need to be able to tell that turtle apart, in yeah. addition to the pit tags, of course. Exactly. Um, and actually, speaking of the pit tags, somebody else asked, you know, about how the pit tags are injected. Uh, so talk about, you know, specifically your uh, your technique for uh, for pit tagging the various different species. So the, our technique, we follow Kurt Bielman's method that he published back in 19, I think it's 1989. Uh, I could be wrong on the, on the date, um, but it, it's injected into the, 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 the leg cavity. Um, when you turn the turtle upside down and it's actually resting on its carapace, all the all the major organs and everything flatten out and it opens a cavity right where the, the rear, rear legs are. You take a rear leg out and just insert the needle just barely in and inject that pit tag into the body cavity. And we've had really good success over the years. Um, it's wild. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we closed the, the little wound with uh, new skin. And um, turtles on set on its way. And it's really not a, much of a wound at all. No, it's you're just tearing the skin a little bit. Uh, you, you don't want that needle in there uh, far. You're just using it to open the skin up and then insert that uh, that microchip. Mm. Right. And then, uh, yeah, close that little tear with uh, some new skin. Yeah, I can't even remember <coughs> any of them bleeding. Am I wrong? Yeah, and they I mean, simply don't. So. And, yeah, exactly. You don't want it. And uh, if you're doing it right, they won't. It's because I did it right. <laughs> <laughs> Just we'll saying. find out the next time we catch that turtle and see if it bings. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never remember which one I did. But I will. If I did it right, I'll remember and then I'll tell you <laughs> and take credit for it. 
Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. So, so, I mean, what are the plans for the future? Are they like, do you feel like, and again, going back to that successful site thing is, I think you, you weigh the pros and cons of any site and you want to go to, you want to go somewhere where there's turtles because you don't want to walk around and find nothing exactly. and because then you get nothing for all the information that you could publish on. But, you know, obviously, you know, we all know turtles are in a rough situation. So could it be possible that you're out there finding a bunch of turtles and then people are saying, well, look, you know, uh, turtles are doing just fine in this part of the state, but really you're just happen to be in one protected area. That's, that's doing pretty well. really what it is. You're finding local hotspots that have a viable, good population that fortunately hasn't been pilfered yet and or impacted yet. Um, just because you have one local viable population doesn't mean uh, the species is doing good as, as a whole. Right. You have a bastion of power. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so um, we have one other question here too. Um, what is the process for getting sites in new states? So how do you go about expanding your, um, your area, for instance? Well, uh, that, that's kind of a, a tricky question because it, it can. It, it, we've done it through multiple ways. Um, we did it through colla collaboration with with the Turtle Room for Pennsylvania. On Texas, we found a site just recently because um, it was posted online that there hundreds and hundreds of turtles were being fed at a local barbecue restaurant on a well known water body in in Austin, Texas. They were being served like to diners. Like yeah, no, 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 no. They they were being fed by the diners. Yeah, oh god! So yeah. they were throwing out their yeah. scraps or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Buffalo the, the chicken barbecue joints on the waterway, and uh, the customers would be handed bread by the restaurant. And you come feed our turtles. And we went there in September, and we caught two hundred and twenty-one turtles with five people in two days. Mm -hmm. it, it was neat. It was it was a really neat site and something we're gonna continue probably twice a year just to see how the a little a local population that has been fed for years does you know uh, it, it it's just interesting because it has been impacted by humans maybe not negatively but it still is being impacted because they're being fed by us mm -hmm. so we want to see how all um, they're going to be doing there's rare <coughs> Texas cooters there Texas map turtles uh, spiny soft shells eastern musk turtles mm -hmm. things like that so uh, a follow-up for that one then. Um, so uh, obviously, you know, some people send, might send some information about a site, but what kind of criteria are you actually looking for for a site that you're going to spend the time to go check out? I want, uh, I want turtles. So viable population <laughs> of at least one dominant species. Right. And so for viewers out there, a viable population um, – can mean a couple different things depending on the species, um, but at the same time, it means that they're relatively abundant, so we have so we can make a day or a weekend of it, so to speak. For instance, yeah, or they're they're breeding. You actually can catch juveniles, so it means that the, the adults are doing their job. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we just came across a a dream scenario. Uh, I'm not gonna say where because of the um, the species is is the alligator snapping turtle, but um, I don't, don't want to release it's our location for our new study site. Other than it's in, it's in the southern United States. <laughs> yeah, it's a dream scenario because 
it was an amazing uh, capture, a surprise, and we found juveniles in a mm -hmm. site we never thought we would. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I think, so what's important to hear here is, you know, following up with my last question, what Eric's saying is he wants to study turtles. So he wants to go to a place where he's busy all day catching turtles, tagging turtles, and, and recording data on turtles. He's not out there to try to prove where turtles are being affected by things like pollution or over collection or well, things like that necessarily. It play, that can play into it too. That might be so, a, an after effect. Of yeah, if one somewhere. of his good sites becomes not a good site. Then, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, now all of our sites that we are studying definitely have issues going on. Um, uh, in Florida, we have water quality issues with nitrate pollutions and, and water loss. And in Texas, we have um, invasive species issues. So uh, the, even though they're protected sites, we, we still have issues that we have to um, pay attention to. Right. And in Pennsylvania, we haven't been there long enough to spot what the issues are yet. Yeah. <laughs> I saw some water loss last year, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> we went and we were, we were up to our chest in water and then, well, Steve's chest in water. And then we came back. That was a short joke. He's not short, though. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just above average. Anthony's like a, a, a mammoth. But I am also <laughs> just above average for an older. The NBA but, player? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, when we went back, it was dry. Where, where parts that were totally submerged and, you know, a couple feet underwater were, were turned into. Oh, yeah, that was awful. Muddy, gunky. That was really rough. Oh. Ugh. So do you know why the water loss in Florida, what it might be attributed to? Uh, it's, the, it's the Florida aquifer. Um, Florida has been a state that's been gaining in population for the past 30 years. And the more cement you lay down, the more people that you, that you have drawing water from the aquifer, the less recharge you have. Mm. So the less recharge you have, the less is being actually put out by the springs. Hmm. So it's 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 all use. It's human consumption. Wow. Thanks, Walt Disney, for that. No, no. I, yeah, I, uh, they definitely are doing a lot of good rather than bad. And, uh, yeah, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. I meant actually Walt Disney <laughs> being being there, there, there are other culprits like uh, uh, big water bottling companies. Okay. <laughs> I meant being responsible for the beginning of the boom in the human population. Oh, well, yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> when he bought land for like pennies on the dollar or whatever and, <laughs> and then turned it into the best place on earth that my daughter won't stop talking about. I'll be there soon. We're, we're going soon, honey. We're going soon. It's okay. She doesn't even know what it is, but she knows she wants to go. Just saying. We don't, this, this conversation doesn't have to take that turn. <clears throat> um, one of our uh, popular viewers um, at, says he's heard about Florida populations of spotted turtles, but has yet to read any journals or studies. Um, can you confirm they exist, or have you not come across any? I personally have not come across any, but I know for a fact that there are at least seven, eight county records within the state of them, and uh, I do have a friend of a friend who is actually currently studying them in Georgia and, and northern Florida. Wow. So if there's an actual study currently going on, there has to be some turtles. 
they're just not in the, the, it's not the turtle species that we would find because our our Florida sites are actually freshwater springs so it's not the correct habitat right wow that's really interesting they have to be like a totally different turtle than what we find up here yeah it's it's like the southern bog turtles the the bog turtle that you find in georgia and south carolina the bogs up, up there are way different than the bogs you find in pennsylvania and jersey right way <laughs> that's so cool in some ways that loops back to one of the things we started with um the new checklist from the iuc and tftsg is going to talk about some locality data i don't know exactly what they're going to be talking about but there's one instance like the turtles that are in texas so the same species that are in florida that are in pennsylvania connecticut all have differences with their appearance so uh just kind of cool how regional they can be even though they're the same species man we're going to have like 16 different subspecies of stink pot soon. <laughs> I don't know that they're that different. <laughs> I hope to have one at, that, at our Texas site. Right? That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, especially with the, with the big heads there. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to do the genetic work and see if it's simply a, a diet and muscle-based yeah. thing or whether there is some genetic change that's happened as a result. <clears throat> it, it's just interesting because they, <laughs> they have a date when that giant ram's horn snail was uh, released, uh, and it's only been in that lake for maybe 30 years. Wow. That's not that long of a window for, I would think, phenotypic plasticity to take hold. But. Right. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but you know, maybe one day we will have Sternotherus odoratus munchuri. <laughs> that would be awesome. How do we lobby for that? If we do nothing else, how do we lobby for that? So Eric's gonna write the paper, and we're gonna and we're just gonna lobby. We're just that's all we're gonna do. We dedicate ourselves to the cause. Email the people that need to be emailed. <laughs> I'm down. I don't know about you guys. Oh, well, um, uh, I don't have any questions over here anymore from viewers, I don't think. Um, Scared them all away. Good job, Anthony. We brought up the checklist again. That's where we lost them, Steve. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. People maybe. don't like checklists. Uh <laughs> but um so eric uh really glad having you uh yeah, on good. Tonight. Thank you. Um, really really good time um you've got lots of work coming up within the next month and a half so i was uh -huh. really glad to get you on and kind of you know pimp some of these things out for you so hopefully you get some people uh donating some money and maybe even showing up down to your spring break trip to to lend a hand that'd be cool get some I, great I stories <laughs> steve did you say pimp I did. <laughs> oh, man. Excuse me, um, man. Woo. You, uh, you'll know Eric. You'll recognize Eric by the turtle room hat that he always wears on his head. Um, so grateful for that. So oh, grateful. You guys are welcome. I love the hat. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we are the official hat provider of the North American Freshwater Turtle Research Group. Um, well, several of their staff wear our hats regularly. We want all their volunteers coming after us now for free hats. No way. <laughs> Just the big wigs, just the guys writing papers. Um, all right. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll sign off. Uh, the next episode will be uh, Monday, March 6th.
Have a good night. Have a good night, guys.